Recording from my studio here in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm a born and raised New Yorker, now living in the South. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. My name is Al. I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. I've worked with thousands of clients in all areas of the country and from all walks of life. Through the relationships I had with these people, I've discovered the mindsets and behaviors that are most effective in a person's financial life, plus the pitfalls and all the BS to watch out for. The financial independence community today has completely lost its way. And I felt it was time to call out the FI gurus, podcasters, and self-proclaimed pundits. This podcast is not about the numbers. That's what all the other financial podcasts talk about. We will focus on the emotional and psychological components that drive our behavior. I am not looking for new clients and I'm not interested in running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is from an insider's perspective and pull back the curtain on the financial industry. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. Welcome to episode one of Confessions of a Financial Advisor. I'm here with my, well, this is Diane and she's my ghostwriter. Hi. We've been working together for a few months and I write some stuff on paper, some brain dumps, and then she puts it all together nice and neat so that it sounds good to everybody out there. So our first post is the antidote to conventional financial independence wisdom. It's kind of what started this whole thought process about listening to all financial independence podcasts out there, listening to all the books, listening to or reading all the blog posts. And just the common themes and the common threads that everyone's been kind of talking about. So I wanted to not just be the contrarian voice, but just be the voice of somebody that's seen it from the back ends where, you know, I've been dealing with clients for 20, 25 years and kind of calling out what all those common beliefs have in common and basically the faults it's not about being contrarian, in my opinion. It's more about digging below the surface and really exposing what isn't being talked about in a lot of the popular podcasts and books um, that really oversimplify things and they're focused on the superficial while they're ignoring a significant aspect that relates to the emotional and the behavioral, behavioral psychology of what really comes into play. Yeah, it's... We kind of we talk a lot about what you mentioned a little earlier before we even started the recording about the iceberg analogy. Yeah. About how, you know, what we see at the tip, you know, what the public sees, what's being talked about is literally just what's sticking out of the water. But the mass, you know, the majority of that iceberg is underneath the surface. And we're not conscious of it. And it's not popular to talk about the emotional aspects of it when it comes to, you know, what happens when the economy takes a downturn? What does it feel like to have your account suddenly hemorrhaging money? Um, you know, what does that experience actually, what does it feel like, not from an intellectual perspective, but from a real personal perspective? The part below the surface of the iceberg is what actually sinks the ship. It's not what we see. Right. 
So if you're not concentrating on that, if we're just concentrating, and I call everything above the surface for this analogy to work in the financial independence community, it's index funds, the 4% rule, um, making a budget, saving as much as possible. Um, what else do they talk about? I mean, they, it's just these common things that always talked about rental real estate. It's all the numbers, figures, and strategies. That's everything that's kind of surfacey. Right. Um, and then we're not focusing on, like you said, what's happening below the surface. What are the emotions that, that are going to arise? You know, if there is a market crash, if there is a, you go through a divorce, if there's a death in your family, if there's yeah, life big, happens, life happens, kids, right. Um, a million different things. How Job are you going to change, re- loss. Job change career change. How many of us are in the same career that we were when we started? I mean, I'm not when I was 18, certainly. Yeah. Or health risk. I mean, imagine a health issue. Yeah. It's like all these things, not that you need to kind of focus your life on all of these things, but I think some form of awareness of these things happening and, you know, they've happened in the past to many people and we can kind of gauge or at least become aware of what's happened. How have people reacted in the past to these events? Well, and you and I have talked a lot about, about the fact that, you know, between you and I both professionally, we've got about four decades of professional experience in finance related industries. And yet the last 10 years, it's been one boom year after another, after another, after another. And you and I know both professionally were working in Charlotte when mm-hmm. 2008 and 2009 happened. And that was the great recession. And that's no joke. I mean, it, it was significant. And yet there's people out there, young professionals who didn't experience that firsthand. And even if they read about it in a textbook, that's not the same thing as living through it. Yeah. It's very sterile when it's just on paper, you know, when people Clinical. talk about it, yeah. The feelings you have when you're going through that, it's, you can't describe them and you can't write it on paper and say, well, hey, you know, when you're down 40%, don't panic, just relax. Everything's going to be okay. Take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Be, yeah. Listen to this meditation. <laughs> you're going to be okay. Like when you're actually in it is when those feelings, I, I, I just remember the feelings. And I remember the feelings of my clients because they, of yeah. course, tell me what they were feeling. Not very happy with me. Not very happy with the situation. But the feeling is it's like a falling knife. You're trying to catch a falling knife. They call oh, it that. That's a great they, analogy. Yeah. They say that a lot in the investment community. So it's the idea that as things are dropping, mm-hmm. what are you gonna do? How when are you gonna when are you gonna when have you taken too much and that you're just done? I have to stop the bleeding on this. Right. You know, I'm down 25%. If I get out now, that's the max loss I can have is 25%. But you've described that exact behavior as locking in losses. It is. It is. But the psychology when you're in it is that I don't want to lose any more. Right. So protect myself and just get out. Because this is the whole thing. All right. So this is clarifying it. Because when you're down, let's just go, for instance, I know we weren't going to talk about a lot of numbers here, but you're down 25%. Mm-hmm. It's one thing to say you're down 25%, but that's the max you're going to be down. You're okay with that because you know it's not going to keep going. But right. if in your mind you're like, what if this goes down 50%? Mm. And I could have got out now and saved myself a 25% downward turn. Right. And it works for real estate. It works for investments. Same yeah. idea. So you, that's the thing that you can't translate to people that when you're in it, it's not 
clinical. It's, it's not logical. And the way that you experience events like that and circumstances like that, logic is thrown out the window and you're in fight or flight, you're in survival mode and emotions that you didn't anticipate hit you and you're just self-preservation kicks in. Yeah. Your mind starts playing tricks on you mm-hmm. and, and store it. Like you just start thinking in different ways. And then you start, like you said, the fight, the fight or flight produces these storylines. So for instance, the storyline of like, what if all right. the what if storylines, there's so many of them, you know, what if it keeps going down? What if I lose my job? What if the market, um, you know, what if this isn't on, you know, this is unlike every other time that's happens. Right. You know, what, what if this is, I'm really living through the anomaly here. Mm-hmm. That's what it felt like in 08, 09. It really did. It felt like, I mean, government bailout, you know, it I was mean, very dark. There was no one and no industry that wasn't impacted, significantly impacted by it. It was, it was extensive and exhaustive and it was very, it was a lot of darkness and a lot of so much unknown. I mean, yeah. for Charlotte, it threw us into like an identity crisis. Like if we're not Banktown, who are we? You know, mm-hmm. Banktown was the, exactly. Yeah. It was the, like killing off an identity for the whole damn city. And the way the government made it sound was like, if we didn't step in and do this, the economy right. would basically go under. Right. What does that even mean? Like the economy would go under? I know definitely in, probably an over-exaggeration. Um, but that's what happens. I mean, billions upon billions of dollars are flushed into the market to save these banks from going under. And yeah. The banks that have made all these crazy decisions to leverage themselves and, you know, that whole, just watch the big short if you want to get into all into exactly. that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, part of the reason for this post was also that we were talking about the Pareto rule, the 80-20 rule, and like what's being focused on. Most of what's being talked about is just scratching the surface. It's just the the logical, non-emotional, do this, this, and this. It's steps one, two, and three. Follow this plan. That's all you need to know. And you've used the analogy of either working out or losing weight. Like we know what to do. Like work out a little more, eat a little less. It's not that complicated. Right. And same holds true for finance. Not that right. it's, you could have, we were talking about having, I think I said five bullet points. You said, no, you could do three. It's three. Yeah, it's three good. bullet points. <laughs> yeah. So three bullet points, you eat a little less, move a little more. Uh huh. I don't even know what the third one would be. Sleep. Sleep. Maybe, maybe yeah. stretch a little bit. Yeah. Um, and then for finance, what is it? Say, spend less than you earn. Right. I mean, you could do one bullet. It's just spend less than you earn and invest the difference. Right. We've all heard this. If you don't have anything left after, you know, you've spent all your money, there's nothing to invest. There's nothing to save. Where are you going? You're treading water. Right. Um, So these are simple concepts, but why don't people do it? So what I think we love talking about is why don't people do that? And what's the reasoning and what's happening that's preventing them from doing the things that are good for them? Right. Um, And... Also, I, I think what's happening on a lot of the financial independence podcasts is they're talking about all of the strategies and numbers, but they're not talking about why. Why why is it not working for most people? Right. They're just not talking about the deeper underlying issues that come up. Um, and you and I have talked a lot about both of our backgrounds are psychology and counseling and that whole world. And you and I both bring that perspective to our professions. And most of, like you've said, what you do is really not about the money. 
And it's true because it's not about the dollars. It's about the relationship that we have with clients to be that, to be able to chalk them off the ledge when they're getting ready to jump to their death. Yeah. And, and a lot's talked about saving on fees. So everybody's mm-hmm. so cost conscious. We don't want to pay fees to advisors and it's just negating what these advisors are actually doing. Right. Um, so what people will tell you is that, you know, you could do this all yourself. Just go with this easy plan going back to the diet thing. Yeah. Eat less, work out more. Why do people get personal trainers if that was the case? Right. They pay for personal trainers to keep them in line. To keep them accountable. Accountable. Yes. And to have that objective perspective. Because when you're in the middle of an emotionally stressful circumstance, whatever that looks like, you don't have the objective perspective. You only have your personal perspective which oftentimes tends toward doomsday and negativity and just wanting to self-preserve. And I think it's also the kind of mentality of getting paid per hour. People don't like the idea that advisors get paid a lot of money Mm. for possibly having two conversations that literally change the perspective of the client. Right. So for instance, you know, I have a client that has a million dollars and we're going through some sort of downturn in the market. And they call me up in a panic. They're like, listen, Al, I don't feel good about this. I've read on CNBC and on Jim Cramer. They're saying that recession's coming. And, you know, I really think we should liquidate. Just let's go to cash for a little while until things get better. I've heard this a lot. Until uh-huh. things get better. Because they know when things are going to get better. Right. Right. And that's and, such a subject. Until things get better. How do you define that? Exact, I mean, how no will de- you know? <laughs> and so what normally happens is... If things continue to go down, they pat mm-hmm. themselves on the back and they say, oh, I just made the greatest decision. And when things start going back up on the rise, mm-hmm. they're too scared to get back in because now they're thinking, well, I want to just get in when it drops. There's, right. no, there's no new entry point. The whole problem with that philosophy is, and what I've seen, I've seen this play out so many times, when somebody cuts their losses, goes to cash, mm-hmm. decides they want out, they don't get back in. Or they'll get back in after like five years after the market's gone up for five straight years. They've missed the whole upside. Right. Now they're in this nasty cycle of getting in high, you know, getting scared when it drops. So those kinds of things, so common. Mm -hmm. So common. So saving on fees is more important than, again, me having two conversations with a client over the course of a handful of years Mm -hmm. that talk them off the ledge where if I wasn't there, they would have pulled the plug. And it could have turned into like hundreds of thousands of dollars in losses that they locked in just by making some fearful knee-jerk reaction. Right. Um, So how do you put a value on anything then? I think that's the problem what people are saying about these fees is that, you know, if if I'm paying 1% Mm on a million dollars to my advisor, that's $10,000 a year. Yeah. It's a lot of money. I understand. But if I prevent that client from selling when they're down 40%, Mm And preventing a four hundred thousand dollar loss, is right? That, is that ten grand worth the fee? Is that worth the service? It's kind of this value system, you know. What do we value here, and what's right? So it's a tough thing to judge, and I think the commonly held belief out there on podcasts and is that don't pay an advisor; they're not seeing the other side of it. And, and they're, they're kind of downplaying what really happens in 
the average, you know, person's life. Mm-hmm. Like I've seen it so many times over where people panic. They just do. It's just what happens. And all they know to do is just knee jerk reaction, knee jerk reaction, get me out of here, get me safe, take, you know, bring me to safety, make it stop. Right. Make like, it stop. Right. Uncle. Yes. <laughs> like yelling uncle. So this episode was definitely my kind of counter argument to the financial independence community. Their rah-rah session, you know, the pep rally of, you know, just do this, just do these things, just save on fees, don't pay advisors, just, you know, do all of these things. And I haven't heard anybody really talk about, all right, but what about when, you know, these big downturns, these big emotional experiences happen? Why don't we, right. why are we talking more about that? It's an important point. It's not just about the economy. It's, it's bigger than that because life experience happens to all of us at some point. None of us gets through this life. You know, you and I are both 40 and older. It's, you don't get to a certain point in life and escape grief, loss, trauma, divorce. You just don't. It's coming for all of us. And so these life experience and the, the economy nationwide could be outstanding, but you can experience a personal trauma and loss. And how are you going to react when that happens? So it's not just about the market. It's not just about the economy as a whole, in my opinion. It's about navigating the reality of life experiences and yeah, what you, that really feels hmm. like. Because until it's happened to you, it's all cerebral and you don't understand how it really feels. Yeah, how it feels when, you, when you're in the midst of it. So you use the analogy that I absolutely love. I'm going to take this and use it. When it comes to whether it's, say, death of a loved one, for example, um, you know, you can have an aunt or a cousin pass away or somebody that's like kind of far removed and you can be a tourist in the realm of grief and you don't, you're not a native in that territory until it happens, until you lose someone close to you, a parent, a sibling, a child, a spouse. So you can be a tourist in grief, but not have the understanding and the depth of experience for what it's like to be a native living there. And there's a difference between the two perspectives. And you could possibly think, you know, you know, mm-hmm. you could convince yourself, you know, you know, oh, right. I, you know, my friend's parent passed away and, you know, they're going through a really tough time and I'm really feeling for them. And I'm like, well, you probably don't have any idea what they're going through. Right. I mean, it's, you know, I'm glad you're empathetic, but at the same point, don't think you understand, you know, the depths of what somebody's going through when it comes to something like that. Yeah. So that in relation to finance, mm-hmm. you know. Everybody for the last 10 years who have not been through a big downturn that, you know, have just- They just they keep making more money. Like their investments keep growing and the numbers keep going up. It's like real estate values. Like, well, we're on an upswing. It's like, yeah, but it's not indefinite. I mean, it's yeah. just not. It's not sustainable. Everybody's a genius when things are going up. I oh, mean, totally. You know, we're all smart. It's all, you know, our skill. And, you know, we're just smart. And it's, that's how we got into 2008 and 2009 is like the false belief that it's just going to keep getting better. It's just going to keep growing and growing and growing. And we created our, we dug our own grave, you know, everybody gets alone. It's like, well, hold on a second. Maybe that's not the most sustainable way to do business in the mortgage industry. Um, everybody gets alone. <laughs> everybody. <laughs> your ninja house loans. Is an a- using your house like it's an ATM. It's not an ATM machine. People stop. I mean, you know, but yet people are doing that. Yes. And then the waves of foreclosures. I mean, it was, 
it was horrible when it crashed. But horrible. Boom years were great. Everybody was making money. The builders were happy. Construction was nonstop in Charlotte, especially. Yeah. So how do you put yourself as somebody now 10 years removed from that? How do you get back into that person or realize that this could happen again and probably will at some point. We don't know when it's not a question of if it's sort of, right. you know, and things can, and the, the longer it goes, it's like the more people become reinforced and convinced that it's never going to end. Well, because you forget when you're not in the middle of it, like once you move beyond it, you forget how traumatizing it was. You forget how dark it was. You forget how terrifying it was. You forget. Yeah. And you you, beyond any painful experience, it just kind of fades over time. And it just, the experience of it isn't in the forefront anymore. It's just well, it's, it's kind of like an it's kind of like an exposure thing too. So think of, I think of it like you know you're walking a tightrope, mm. you haven't slipped, so you feel pretty good. You're feeling pretty confident as you're walking across this tightrope, right? And you're like, wow, I'm getting really good at this. You know, like my feet, my footing's really good. Yeah, I feel real balanced. And then a wind blows, and you go flying off the thing, and you get this terrifying fear, and then you realize, oh, I didn't know what that felt like to be vulnerable, to be exposed, right? Yeah, it's one of those things where if somehow you can kind of get yourself from an imagination standpoint, from like um, a visualization standpoint, we can envision what that would feel like. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that's such a great exercise for people to at least contemplate. I mean, I don't think it's really possible to get yourself in that exact moment. No. But it's there. It's there. It's, you know, it's that you know, that rustling in the bushes, you know, 99 right. times out of a hundred, it's a little it's breeze, mm-hmm. but that one time, and I don't think people should live their lives in fear. It's not, this isn't about that. It's not no. about the idea of just being scared of your own shadow. It's just the reality of protecting yourself and realizing what could potentially happen, being aware of what's happening, mm-hmm. being conscious of what you're you know, what are you thinking about? What are you believing? Are you listening to the news and just making these predictions based on three guys in suits that said something relatively articulate and smart? Mm-hmm. You know, if I mean, again, I'm susceptible to it too. You see somebody that's, you know, a Wharton graduate that's up on stage, you know, with his red tie on and he's using yep. big words and he's saying things that he believes to be true and he doesn't really have a crack in his confidence. He's just very charismatic. Right. Here two, two or three of those saying the same thing, and you're like, that's got to be true. Right. It must be true. Must mm-hmm. be. <laughs> we all do it, right? We're all bombarded with media, social media. Yeah. It's, we're, there's too much information almost. It's, there's a danger in that. Yeah, oh, that's a whole night. My, my that's a whole other that's topic. That's a whole other topic. <laughs> social media. We were talking about that too earlier. And I think that's important to talk about the inputs. We all have too many inputs. Right. It's like that idea. You know, for instance, like a few months ago, I went. Uh, I kind of backpacked in and went camping for a couple of nights mm-hmm. uh, on the Appalachian Trail. And for those two and a half days that we had no cell service. Um, you're just walking around the woods with giant yeah. packs on. Then you're just, you know, you're filtering water out of the stream to drink. You're 
it's such a weird thing with your mind, your mind, my mind kind of like was so scattered up until that point. And then it just had to turn off. Like all of that noise just stopped because now you're in this moment of you're walking through the woods, you're looking around, you're in nature, beepers and buzzers and email alerts and things aren't going off. And you're not right. thinking like, I guess your mind automatically realizes in that moment, like, I don't have service. I can't check anything. There's nothing there's, I can do about this right now. There's I nothing I can do. It. Right. <laughs> it is what it is. Right. So for the next two and a half days, this is what it is. Yeah. Man, I need more of that. Man, people need more of that. Oh my God. It sounds delightful. Like I want to go right now. <laughs> can I just shut off the computer and just leave? Like, and I've been threatening to run up, take my computer and run away to the mountains. I'm like, nope, I'm not telling anybody. I'm just going like, so it's, it's almost like that it's contrary to what you would think. You would think that if you have all these inputs mm. that you can make better decisions because you have all this extra information, but then it becomes something else. Like it twists and it like. Well, it, it's nonstop. I mean, you're jumping from one video to another and one podcast to another. And we're such information junkies and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, the you know, the amount of books I've read this year, <laughs> like it's well yeah. much even for me, but um <laughs> You know, but where's the balance? You know, you can t intake and intake and intake information all day long, but it, there's no benefit unless you actually put it into practice in your daily life. It's this constant perpetual chasing without ever stepping off of the hamster wheel, I think, that gets us into trouble. Yeah, that Eastern philosophy compared to Western philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. That Western philosophy of more is better. More, more, more. Yeah. Push, you know, no pain, no gain, you know, keep going. You need more. Yeah. Sales is just a numbers game. Law of averages. Crap. That yeah. I have never, but I've always said, that's just not me. I don't want to do it. And yet that's how they teach you in certain industries, finance included. Just cold call. Just call, 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 call. More, 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 more. And it's like, that doesn't feel authentic. That never felt authentic to me. Like, can I just have relationships with people? Yeah. Like what, or the goal thing, I, I, the goal thing yeah. always drove me crazy. Like set bigger goals. You know, you got to set these very, you know, aggressive backwards goals. from whatever your net income you want and then get to the number of people you need to be reaching out to every day. And that felt so cold to me. That sucked. <laughs> I hated that. It totally that. did. It took me 15 years to be able to have the freedom to go. I don't want to do it that way. No, not. It, it always like it literally, I remember just even talking about it now, it gives me this ball of tension in my solar yeah. plexus. Yeah. I remember like nights of making cold calls and just with the biggest pit in my stomach leading up to like a three hour call night session, mm -hmm. we'd call from six to 9 PM trying to set appointments to yeah. sell life insurance. And it was just this rah, rah session. Everyone's like, you know, just more, more. And everybody's driving Lexuses and drinking the corporate Kool Aid. That yeah, look at my uh -huh. watch and my thousand dollar suit, and look at this. And and when you're a 22 year old kid, you look up to that. You know, you're like, I don't have anything. Those external quote unquote measures of success that our society wants us to believe are almost indicators of our worthiness to some degree. I mean, there's a whole advertising industry that's set up to tell us that we're not good enough so we'll buy their products. Yeah. And that's how a lot of corporate and professional cultures are set up in that it's the external indicators to focus on more, 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 more. And it's just, there's kind of an opposite way of doing business that I think doesn't get talked about a lot, but is actually very powerful. 
And it's that relationship component in my experience. Yeah. And I, I always think of like that. I heard this line recently that, you know, billionaires always seek out Buddhist monks, but mm. Buddhist monks never seek out billionaires. Ha. Huh. Yeah. Why is that? You know, so the poor guy, you know, never seeks out the rich guy, but the rich guy wants to know what the poor guy, how is he happy? Right. I think there's so much like to be learned from that, you know, that I've always, always have leaned towards the idea of like Eastern philosophy of just, again, I know it sounds so cliche being in the moments, you know, trying to live your life without always like forward, bigger goals, more, more, more. Right. like just, you're always in so you're never living in a moment. You're living in this constant looking forward kind of person. And unsatisfied with, and unappreciative, I think in some ways for what you do have around you. Well, yeah, there's definitely no satisfaction. It's, no. it's the, you know, it's the idea of being unsatisfied. You're always chasing something else. Mm-hmm. You need more. If I don't get this other thing, then you know, what's the point of setting goals in the first place? You're trying to get something that you don't have, right? But, the, you know, but I think we've been brainwashed with that. Oh, we totally have. I mean, I feel like I'm, we both are relatively successful people, you know? Yeah. It didn't come from me setting goals. I, I haven't made, so I, I guess the counter argument to me would be like, well, if you just wrote down your goals and you set bigger goals, you'd be a lot further along. I'm like, well, what does that mean? Like, and who even knows? Like, who's to say? Who's to say? I mean, and what's the what's the gauge? So the gauge right. is what? Oh, if, if you had a million dollars, well, if you had five, you'd have five million if you would have done it this way. Like, so what? That makes me more successful? Yeah, from fi- a financial perspective, maybe. But what what have I had to give give up to get to that point? Because there's always a sacrifice involved. There's always. And when it's quality of life, that at this point in my life, I'm not willing to make that sacrifice. I want quality connections and relationships in every area of my life, business, personal, across the board. I'm not willing to sacrifice quality. I don't need that many friends. I deleted Facebook because I just, I don't need that. I don't want that. That doesn't feel good to me. I don't, I'm not interested in it. But Diane, don't you realize if you had more, you'd be so much more happy? <laughs> or that if I had a Facebook business page, that my businesses would be more successful? Screw yeah. that. If you had 100,000 followers. Facebook? Yeah. <laughs> Facebook who wants to sell me their advertising is the one telling me that message. And it's a load of crap. Yeah. But it takes so long to come to that realization. It right? took 40 years. <laughs> 39, well, 36 to 39, if I'm honest. But yeah. Yeah. And, and it felt radical to delete that account. Like, oh, what's going to happen if I get off of it? I don't know, my life, maybe? Maybe I'll have more time to focus on the actual people in my life rather than this online community. And if we know this, and if it took us 40 years, or in my case, 46 <laughs> years, to learn all this, and you know, all the 20-somethings and 30-somethings out there that are listening to the same stuff I'm listening to, and I'm like, right. you know, pounding my screen like stop telling this to the general masses right you know you're telling people like this is what you got to do and you know bigger and you got to grow and you got to have a bigger position in more followers and more likes and when the hell does it stop yeah and it's almost like they try to make it that it it should be obvious to everybody that financial success is the route to happiness like if you don't have financial success you can't possibly be happy and then right. it just goes right back to that billionaire Buddhist monk thing. 
Right. There's so many different gauges of happiness. Right. You know, I mean, and, and there's different, it's all relative. I mean, so somebody that makes 20 grand a year, but feels content making 20 grand a year and lives the way they want to live. That's their lifestyle and their desires for their lifestyle. Then who's to judge that? Who are we to judge that from the outside? But it seems like our culture is sort of like, eh, that's ridiculous. You know, of course it's better to make a hundred grand a year than 20 grand a year. I'm like, but there's so many, like you said, like relationships and how you feel about yourself and your health and your, I mean, there's so many different things um, that also contribute to this. And we've kind of, narrowed it to like nope it's like a hyper focus on step one two and three and yet that's all anyone wants to talk about is when it comes to finance index funds don't pay an advisor numbers yes strategies not the emotional not the psychology not your relationships not your your relationship with yourself not your internal talk not your you know how you feel about yourself, what you do with your day, how do you respect yourself, how do you respect your time? Right. Like you were just saying, you know, it's one of those things, like your life is playing out the way you want it to play out now. You're getting to choose. I'm going to be a writer. I'm going to do the things I want to do. And it's not all about- The things that I'm passionate about. And it's like, at this point, again, in my life, it's like, I'm not willing to sacrifice if it's not, I, I love writing. Writing is a passion for me. I love ghostwriting for people. It is so, I cannot tell you how much fun it is to have these conversations behind the scenes and then see things get created in written form. I'm like, oh, I was part of that. And it was a fun experience. Um, And that's a passion for me. So why would I not do it? And again, it took me 39 years to accept and embrace that, but better late than never. And I love your ghostwriting for me because it takes me out of that loop. <laughs> I do not want to be doing that. <laughs> I come up come up with very vague ideas and Diane puts them together. Yeah, no, it's well, from the very first time that you shared your writing, you told me just, hey, take a look at this. You know, let me know if you feel like it's worth us even meeting and having a conversation. And and I immediately read your writing and I went, Oh, he's got really good insight. Like, no, I want to help him get this message out to the world. So yeah. 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 It's been great. Yeah, It's been fun. <laughs> I mean, it, it needs to be talked about so much more than it's being talked about. Um, it doesn't sell. I think it's not, it's not on display for the masses. It's not one of those, it's not designed to draw you in. Um, you know, it's not glitzy and it's not, you know, that introspective work that we kind of talk about and like, it's not a magic pill or, you know, a quick fix. And it's not always comfortable to have such discussions about things like fear, anxiety, yeah. limiting beliefs. I mean, money stories that we've learned from parents. I mean, there's a whole lot of conversation, but yeah, none of it's popular to talk about. And so much value, like more value than, I guess it, it's just not a direct, it doesn't seem as direct. You know, when you somebody says, you know what, forget all that, forget all that emotional stuff, just set big goals. Mm-hmm. Cause like once you're successful, then that takes care of everything, whatever that means successful. Right. And then you're like, wait a second. Okay. So if I start talking about therapy or talking about psychology or how my thoughts work or how my emotions, how am I going to react when I felt all these different emotions, when they happen again, Okay, now I'm familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Like talking about anything that has to do with that is sort of like, eh, what's the right. point of that? You know, that's not going to get you where you want to go. 
and it's like you start to realize as you get older, you're like, oh, that's the only way you get to where you want to go. There's, right. there's no other, right. you have no other path. You can't get around it. You got to go through it. You know, you can't get to the other side by kind of avoiding the messiness of life experience. You, there's no detour. Yeah. It's, it's almost like everything else becomes just like, at least for me, everything else is distraction. All the numbers, right. all the, the concepts of goals, all the concepts of, um, you know, the explosive power talk kind of stuff we used to talk about, about with Tony Robbins, yeah. like all of it is like, it's like the average, like you were saying, advertising. It's literally like just being pumped out to the masses as kind of like eye candy or ear candy, where, you know, look at what I got. Look at this shiny new object. Right. The latest and greatest product. Here's, yeah, buy this and it'll change your life. And it's like, it's totally oversimplified and it is definitely artificially flavored, I think. It's, it's a form of a mask. It's like this persona that's very successful people have created and made a lot of money from promoting. Yep. And it continues. <laughs> on and on and on. Yeah. Yeah. The shiny object that, yeah, that everybody, not only is it going to like solve your problems, but I think it's like the ultimate in, they're basically telling the public that you need a distraction. Mm-hmm. Don't focus on the stuff that's important. Look at this shiny thing. This is, no, they're basically telling you it's not important. They're just saying that you need something to kind of like mask over all the stuff that the fear, the anxiety, the emotions, grief, all these things. Get a new car. Get yourself a new house. It's a, it's a, a form of addiction. You know, it, yeah. it is. Yeah. What's that, that, that quote where they say man's biggest problem is his inability to sit in a room and just be with his own mind for, you know, half an hour. It's like all like the, all the atrocities of the world come from the idea that people can't be with their own thoughts and they can't be with people their own emotions. People can't. People can't put their damn cell phones down. Like I can't, I people watch all the time. So I don't care where I am. I'm always watching people. It is appalling how addicted people we are to my, I'm guilty of it too. But you know, <laughs> like right now my phone is on silent and I'm not engaged. I don't have email notifications on my phone. I only get text messages. Like I have boundaries within my cell phone. But people are constantly, they could be sitting across from each other and they're both on their phone. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. There can't be any more distraction. I, I couldn't imagine a world with more distraction. Right. You know, like how much, like, would you literally have like a screen, like strapped around your head? Like that right. you, could, you wouldn't even have to look at it. It would just kind or of- Or like you know implanted what? to you, like imp- permanently attached. Oh like God, that's, that's horrifying. It's the that's- only way I could see there being more distraction, right? Because right. like, you, like you said- there's this funny picture that I saw on so, some social media platform where it was people like looking down at their phones, uh-huh. but they, they removed the phone in the picture. So it's just, everybody's just looking at their hands. <laughs> and, and how crazy walk- that looks. And it looks so freaky. And like, they everybody's look just insane. looking at their hands. Everybody's looking down at their hands. and Like rocking around like a bunch of zombies. And so like- creepy. It's the creepiest. And it, all they did was remove the phone. Right. But that's what everybody's doing. And that's yeah. normal. It's become normal. It's become I don't, normal. I don't, it's personally not sustainable for me. I mean, I did have certain presences on certain platforms and yeah, but they're not required. Like there's no Facebook police that's going to show up at my door and be like, why did you delete your account? I mean, yeah. What did I lose? I gained back a whole lot of time and I got rid of a whole lot of chaos and stress and angst. So 
that was a good trade-off for me. Me and my a friend of mine from college, he um, we always have you know guys have like movie quotes. That's we you know yeah. run around just like quoting movies. And one this I've is noticed actually, that actually you're right that is common to a yeah lot of men. yeah very common thing with men. I don't know why it just is. Okay. Um, but this one friend in particular, um, and this is going I'm dating myself. So the movie Platoon. Yeah, have you ever seen the movie Platoon? A long time ago. Yeah. A long time ago. Charlie Sheen's like yeah. one of his first movies. And there's a guy in that, in in one of the scenes, he's a soldier. Um, and he says, he says, he's like, if you get your head right, your ass will follow. Like, it's just this short little line. And so yeah. like, yeah, it's like, just get your head right and your ass will follow, you know? And it's like <laughs> the funniest thing, my friend and I always say that to each other. And it's so true. It's like, you just get, you got to get this right. You got to get like the cerebral, like the thoughts and the motive. You got to, you got to figure not that it's never going to be perfect. Obviously it's a, it's a fluctuating moving thing. It's a constant work in progress as everything in life is. And there's no finish line. There's no destination. It's just, it's about the journey, which can be frustrating sometimes, but the it's unexamined, it, yeah. Yeah. And it comes life. back to mindset and what do we believe and what stories are we believing and what are, what information are we accepting blindly as truth without questioning it? Well, I think the biggest danger is the unawareness. If, if you're completely unaware of what you're thinking, of what you're mm-hmm. feeling, which I kind of grew up with, you know, with parents that, you know, didn't really, they never, I mean, they were, they thought of themselves as emotionless, right. you know, like we don't have emotions, you know, we're just, well, anger, anger is right. not an emotion. <laughs> you be angry, right? That's, you could be angry or just like stoic and like, but that was it. No emotions. Certainly not discussed. Like I grew up in a very, like, we don't talk about certain things. I'm like, oh, that seems healthy. Yeah. Like, you know, 40 years later, like, yeah, up. like just, yeah. The family of origin stuff. Oh, we've all got wounds from that whole experience. Yeah. Like I can't imagine my parents. I mean, if my parents would listen to our conversation right now, they would like, look at it look at me cross-eyed they'd be like well what are you what are you even talking about have you lost your mind yeah emotions what just see just go go to go to work just go to work and then eat something and then go to sleep right you're good you're good yeah throw in some yelling on a regular yeah, basis right. like, yeah if you, you get know. pissed off yeah let it out on somebody that's unsuspecting you know right. yeah so yeah. yeah that's kind of where we're coming from so i mean mm-hmm. it's, again it's the unexamined life like the unexamined life is not worth living Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't know if that's true. I just think that the unexamined life is definitely one of just bouncing around by life circumstances and just getting just the crap beat out of you in every which direction. And you don't know what's going to happen. And you're just sort of like flailing. It's like a flailing type lifestyle. Well, and you can't figure out. So you and I've talked about it. We're both happily divorced. And, you know, it's like, well, I've watched friends who jump from one toxic marriage into another one. And I'm like, did mm-hmm. you think it was going to get better? Like, you know, it's yeah. just, you're repeating the same patterns and then you can't figure out, well, how do I end up with this loser? It's like, well, did you examine yourself and what you really want? Did you go within? No, no. You just jumped and went to the next person and keep repeating the same patterns that you've always been repeating without an, any awareness of why it keeps happening. And if you ask that person why it's happening, they'd have a story though. Oh, sure. That they believe. Yeah. That they believe. And it had nothing to do with what they did half the time. No, it's 
all about the other person, how crazy they are. And, right. Yeah. And life and the job did this to them. And, yes. you know, I the can't victim find mentality. Yeah. Company fired me, you know, and yeah. Right. Poor me. Yeah. Poor, poor me. Mm. Well, Diane, this has been fun. This has been a fun conversation. So I don't know if it kind of sums up the blog post, but hey, it's, it's our first podcast It's a lot of what went episode. into that first post. And I, I think, I'm not sure if it was the very first one. It was one of the very first few posts that I did with you. And I didn't know how you were going to react when I sent the draft to you mm. because I'm working on it. And I, all I could see was, oh my God, he's dancing around this damn word, but he won't use it. <laughs> and I'm going to use it. And the word was mindset. Mindset. And that has come through in a lot of your subsequent writing. And that's really the mindset and the story aspect is so intertwined in everything that we've talked about today and everything in, in much of what you're writing and sharing. Yeah. And, and the book that we kind of, I got you onto, which was uh can't hurt me by uh, yes. David Goggins. He uses that word a lot in that yes. mindset and that guy's got a mindset. All right. Yeah. That the audio book of that book is outstanding and it was really fun to listen to that yeah i wasn't sure if you'd like it just from a female perspective because it gets you know some parts were a little uncomfortable it, i'm like um it's hmm. a little testosterone though. yeah it, it was not most of it but yeah there were a couple of points there's, I was there's like, some sections hmm. yeah um no but i mean i fascinated i mean i had the same reaction so the audio version is a conversation with the author david goggins and his ghostwriter adam skolnick who I could listen to Adam talk all day long. I just yeah. love his, the guy's voice. Um, but Adam was David's ghostwriter. So it's their conversation, which is just a fun way to listen. It's part of it's Adam reading the book, but then he and David are having a conversation. And I had the same reaction that the ghostwriter Adam did in hearing just David's childhood traumatic experiences. Like, oh my God, all of that happened to you? Like before the age of 10? Yeah. Like, it was just a lot of trauma and abuse and yeah, in detail. Yeah. Yes. Like the details of it were just gut wrenching sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so, yeah. yeah. He's got quite a story. Well, and I kind of feel like, you know, not that I'm mimicking what he's doing here, but I, I, <laughs> I so like the idea of having, you know, ghostwriter talk with the author, you know, and just right. actually have them have a conversation about, what was written, how they came up with it. And that's why I love talking to you on these podcasts. Well, our first podcast now, but yeah, many, many future ones to come. Well, um, and as I told you earlier, it's I what I like about it, there isn't a very irreverent side to me. And I'm like, pull back the curtain, show people what it's really like. Because the words didn't just appear. Like there's a whole conversation behind the scenes that happens. Um, yeah. It's that not are a, part of the written expression of it. Right. There's somewhat of a process. The yeah. words did not write themselves. So, yeah. Well, Diane, thanks for being on my first podcast here. Thanks for having me. And uh, we'll do this again next week on our next posts. Bad investment decisions and oh, back healing pain? lower back pain. Oh, I like that one. That one was fun. Yeah. So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> it doesn't sound like two things that would be you know, correlated. Correlated, but they are. They are. And we'll tell you all about it next time all right well thanks for listening and if you want to follow us we're at faconfessions.com and we'll see you next time